As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 367. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you experience effortless healing, awakening, and abundance. In today's episode, we go deep into discussions about mindfulness, eliminating distraction, improving focus, and mastering your mind. So this is an episode that you're really going to enjoy. So make sure that you stick till the very end. But before diving in, I'd like to remind you that I have recently released a 24-page PDF document that outlines some of my favorite ways to raise my vibrations and start feeling better almost immediately. If you'd like to grab that free download, go to my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. Very aptly titled my7chakras.com forward slash feel better now. All right. So let's bring on our special guest for today, David Richards. David Richards is a business professional, life coach, yoga instructor, and speaker on self-development. He spent his early childhood living in various parts of the United States and three years living on the island of Okinawa, Japan. After graduating university with a degree in English, he was commissioned an officer in the Marines. He served for 15 years on active duty before deciding to break out from the path that his father and brother had followed in making the military a career and left the Marines to pursue a life as a civilian. He joined Cisco Systems in 2006 and shortly thereafter discovered yoga. Down-to-earth, insightful, and sometimes silly, he blends elements of yoga with quantum physics to bring the esoteric together with the practical for a truly unique perspective of how the mind works, in turn creating easily understood self-development plans that create lasting change for a more fulfilling life. So uh, these are some clues or hints into what we might be speaking about today. But uh, David, really great to have you on our show. And are you ready to inspire? Hey, AJ, so glad to be here. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And absolutely, uh, ready to share your audience, with your audience uh, my stories and things that have worked, things that haven't worked, but uh, the growth that uh, the journey of life is. So absolutely. Wonderful. So I can't wait to start. Uh, let's talk about your childhood to begin with. Uh, what was it like growing up in your household, in your home? Yeah, it's, you know, we had a loving, uh, very loving, nurturing environment. Um, and, you know, everybody grows up with their sense of normal. And so for me, my sense of normal was we moved every two to three years. Um, and what I didn't realize was a lot of that created, you know, beliefs in me, um, just really long relationships, you know. So one day, you and I might be best friends, and the next day I'm moving because my dad got orders to a new duty station. And so this is certainly before the age of the internet. 
um, and, uh, and Facebook and chatting and texting. And so uh, our friendship just stopped. Um, but, you know, it was great to, you know, on the, on the flip side, it was great to see different parts of the country at an early age. Great to certainly live in Japan for, for three years, you know, got to South Korea, got to the Philippines there and, and just being exposed to different parts of the world at that age had tremendous impact that still I carry with me today. Got it. Uh, so that moving, you know, that having a friend and then losing the friend because you're moving to another city or a part of the country, what sort of impact did that have on you in retrospect? Because I remember when I was a kid, it happened the other way for me because I used to have a friend and then he would, you know, move to a different city, parents would get relocated. And deep down, I felt that I could never have like a long-term friend. I always wanted to have that best friend, right? As kids, we want to feel accepted. We want to have that friendship. We want to feel that, you know, love right. and reciprocity. But the fact that every time I made a friend, either he would move to a different city or I would move schools. And I don't know, I'm still discovering how that has affected me long-term. But how did that, you know, affect you? Yeah, no, for sure. It, it really... It, it created two beliefs that I took with me into my adult life. Uh, and so one of those, like I said, was just a relationship's end. And so I just didn't fully appreciate the currency of a rich relationship and rich friendship and what that meant. And certainly I had some um, as I went, you know, as I grew up and I, I still remember this guy comes to mind, Jason, who was my best friend when we lived in Japan and we stayed in touch for a few years afterwards when his family moved to Virginia and I moved to North Carolina. Um, but I just didn't, appreciate that keeping someone and having a lifelong friend was really something that I could have and, and mm. cherish. So, that, you know, that was one belief that just friendships and relationships ended. Uh, and I certainly carried, you know, I've got great friends from high school still, and I've been out of high school a long time. Um, but the other belief really that it created was when it came to romantic relationships. And so if you have this dynamic that in some cases relationships end, well, when it comes to romance, then you almost kind of have to go all in because you're trying to shore up this relationship before you get to the point where it's going to end. Um, and so I became super romantic. I became a really romantic person. I wrote poems. You know, I think when um, other people, you know, in, in certainly the later part of high school and into college were discovering uh, physical intimacy, I was still kind of looking at romantic things and um but that, you know, those, those two beliefs I really took with me through a big part of my adult life too. And I think it was only through kind of the last, you know, five or six years that I really awoke to them and realized kind of the power they'd have over me and, and was able to let them go. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing. It's interesting how one incident or two incidents or, you know, these things that happen to ourselves as children have an effect on different aspects of our life, even as we are adults. And only when we sort of take the time to shine the light on those parts of us which are now in the dark, do we realize, wow, that that did affect me, right? So thanks a lot for sharing. Now, your father and your brother were both Marines, right? So what role did they play as you were growing up in your decisions, especially as far as a career is concerned? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny. So I was very creative growing up, and I think that was, you know, part of the reality of not having a consistent friend that I went from grade school all the way up to high school with. I got really creative, so I wrote, um, I uh I drew, I was very artistic. Um, and in high school, I actually got something published, uh, you know, a piece of, uh, a short story published. I got honorable mention in a magazine nationally. And I just thought that everybody could do that. I just, I didn't realize that it was, that writing was something that I just excelled at a little bit. So mm. when it came time to look at life after high school, uh, I remember my, my dad sat me down. He said, listen, you, you know, we'll pay for part of your college, but you're going to pay for the other half. And if you get an academic scholarship, that's great. Uh, if not, you might want to look at ROTC and, and join the military. And um, I guess one of the other beliefs that I, I grew up with that I mentioned was I, I learned to hate the Marine Corps um, because I blamed them for always moving us around. And so I thought, okay, if I have to do you know a military scholarship, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to join the Marines because no. And um, uh, and so and and there wasn't any you know my my dad didn't push me. My brother was kind of going down that path as well. Um, and I got into college and I was going to go into the Navy. Uh, and, uh, you know, so every semester when you do an ROTC program, you have to do a class for ROTC. Uh, and so the first class is like Naval weapon system. So it's kind of, you're looking at like missiles and stuff. And it's really cool. And mm -hmm. then the second semester it's Naval, like engineering, like the actual ships engineering. And my mind is a liberal arts mind. And so I, I started mm -hmm. mechanical engineering and I just kind of blacked out. 
like, mm. oh, it's not going to be good. So I'm like, I got to get to the Marines. Um, and so that's kind of the the pathway that took me down. That was, you know, I know the Marines. I'm familiar with them. I grew up in the Marine Corps. Um, and so that was the path I decided to take. Got it. So you know the Marines. Uh, your father and your brother both were Marines. And uh, deep down, you were kind of blaming the Marine Corps because you were moving all the time and you didn't like that experience. And then on top of that, you were a creative person, right? You used to write a lot, yep. doing some drawing, and you were receiving rewards for that. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to you know, write a lot as well and draw and sketch and, and do cartoons on my sketchboard. Now, before we go into you know what was happening in your mind you know, as you were going closer and closer to life as a Marine, what is it about the mind of a creative person? Because you sort of alluded to the fact that you were creative and so you were sort of away from the others or maybe by yourself as well? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because I think there are there are people who go through life mm -hmm. and they accept the framework of life as it is. Yeah. You know, it's the society, there's a structure, you go through the, you kind of check these blocks or go through these milestones and and that's perfectly acceptable. And I think then there are creative people who see the world not as it is, but how it can be. Mm -hmm. and those are the people who look to change things. And you know, it's so funny that we're kind of talking about this because I was just sharing this with someone yesterday. You know, I've gotten to the place in my life where I realized I'm never going to be one of those people that just kind of accepts the status quo. Like the thrill, yeah. the thrill of living for me mm -hmm. is pursuing something greater and something more. And so I think that's, you know, I think that's the spark of creativity. And I think that, you know, the best thing that we can do and certainly what I would encourage your audience to do is just, you know, ignite that spark. If you have a creative flair in you or if it's in your kids or someone you know, let that, you know, burn that spark and, and see where it goes because it's such a powerful gift. Um, mm -hmm. and there's nothing to say that there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with accepting the status quo. Um, but I just come to appreciate there are people who are going to do that and people who aren't. Got it. So I love what you're sharing right now. And one of the reasons why people listen to our podcast is because they want to move past the status quo. They realize that there's a light within them. They want to create something that is larger than themselves. They want to make the world better than it was before. And in that, there's a realization that your life, there's going to be a lot of changes and sometimes you're going to be alone. And uh, what's going to keep you moving is that faith in that thing that you want to create, whether it's some arts that you want to bring out into the world, whether it's a new vocation that you want to pursue. But that pursuit is what keeps us going all the time. And uh, it seems like that was that kept you going as well. That artist, that writer within you uh, was always deep within. Now, for someone who's new to the term, because we've got people around the world listening, what what is a Marine? And how is a Marine different from some of the other parts of the armed forces? Or maybe how is a Marine different from, like, let's say a Navy SEAL, if you can, you know, clear yeah. that up a bit. No, I, I'm, I'm just smiling. First, I love what you said about the pursuit. I mean, I think I'm, I'm we're just we're having this is gonna be an awesome conversation um it's funny I'm, I'm laughing because i was a keynote speaker uh back in january up in new york for yeah. a conference and there were two keynote speakers and the first guy uh who went ahead of me was a navy seal um and so i and i'm just like oh like it's hard to follow navy seals because those guys are crazy good uh but <laughs> the first thing i said when i got on stage was i said okay well you know this is much like real life the seals come first and then the marines come after um so to answer your question you know the marines are um, in the U.S., you know, in the United States, anyway, are part of the Department of the Navy, but it's really the Marines are an amphibious landing force. So they're meant to kind of come from the sea. Um, they're, um, you know, they're I guess the equivalent kind of of modern day shock troops. So really, uh, you know, when I was in the Marines, uh, we were part of the initial landing force in Somalia back in 1992 in Operation Restore Hope, and that's what Marines do. Marines are there to kind of kick the door in, secure. Mm. You know, we secured the port facility. We the airport and that allowed follow-on forces to come in but that's different from you know the army is conventionally land focused um the navy's obviously you know within the sea and you know, they have power projection and, and then the air force is in the air and and seals you know seals are part of kind of the special forces so marines are kind of a, a you know a couple notches below um below seals but part of the uh, elite fighting force i would say got it and you were a marine for 15 years correct? i was i was yep so what was life like as a marine you were part of these different operations special ops uh, you were in Somalia. Uh, were you in Iraq as well? Uh, I, was, I was off the coast of Kuwait. So um, mm -hmm. so we were supposed to go to... <laughs> so I was on a, a six-month float. So we're on ships, Navy ships. We're supposed to go to uh, Australia, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, paradise. I mean, just great beer, great people. 
Uh, and then something happened, a little thing called Somalia happened. So we went there for two months. And then after that, we went to the United Arab Emirates for about three weeks to kind of clean equipment and fix equipment. And then we spent a few weeks off the coast of Kuwait as part of the Desert Storm ceasefire campaign. Um, but yeah, but I, you know, it's interesting you bring something up and I want to, I want to share it because I think it's important to your listeners. So even though, you know, I was an English major in college, uh, I, I took a writing track. So I, I was writing, you know, my own, almost all my homework assignments were writing. But when I got into the Marines, I pushed writing aside because I'm like, you know, that's not, that's not what grownups do. Like I've got my career now uh, and I'm going to focus on being a Marine. And I realized I was kind of pushing away a very you know, fundamental part of who I was and trying to adopt this persona that the Marine Corps provides. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't until about 10 years into my career, I had a, I was actually in Virginia at my, uh, at an assignment and, um, the boss I reported to was, uh, a painter and he had paintings in his office and I was blown away that a Marine would have this kind of artistic bug. And, uh, and so he's actually what got me started writing. He had a, he had a painting uh, like a Greek painting, and I wrote this poem called Achilles, um, written from the standpoint of Achilles talking, and uh, and that was the first thing I wrote after probably, I don't know, like a ten year hiatus in writing. So, God, it's just wonderful that after a ten year hiatus, you sort of discovered an aspect of yourself that you were subconsciously pushing away because of the persona that the Marines provided you. Maybe that did not gel with you, but you know, for a moment, tell us what was life like as a Marine. That what is a different persona like? Uh, you know, what does an average day like, you know, in, yeah. a, as part of that troop or part of that group? You know, it's, it's interesting because you're, uh, you're, if you're not deployed somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you're almost kind of in this mindset where you're in case of war, break glass and then Marines pop out and they go somewhere. Um, so, you know, we would do training a lot of times, uh, when I was in artillery, we would do field exercises. And what I mean by that was, um, I was stationed in San Diego, California, Mm-hmm. And a large base there uh, with a huge, what we call impact area. And so it's just this huge open area of terrain and right. aircraft would come in and drop bombs there, or we would shoot artillery there or mortars. Um, and so we would go out and kind of into our backyard, we called it and, and shoot there. Um, or we'd go to uh, the lovely 29 Palms, California, which is uh, just, uh, sounds enchanting, but is just a giant piece of desert. And we do maneuver exercises there. Um, when we're in garrison, you know, it's, it's cleaning equipment. It's, um, cleaning your weapons. If you've gone to the range to, you know, practice, it's admin, um, a lot of physical exercise because you want to maintain a certain state of readiness in case you have to get, uh, deployed or go somewhere. I remember one, one labor day, uh, I got a call from my boss and I was sitting at home on vacation or taking a break. And he said, Hey, uh, we might have to send a unit to Kuwait because Saddam Hussein at the time had moved a, a, division of armor or something down towards the Kuwaiti border. And he's like, you're going to go to Kuwait Wednesday. And it's like on a Monday. I'm like, okay. And mm. that, that's just, you know, so there's this, there's this transitory feeling of life because you realize at any moment you could get a call and have to go somewhere across the world. Right. So I sense a lot of lower chakra activity, right? Cause you're always thinking about your solar plexus chakra, which is your, you know, fight and flight. You're, pushing your confidence because, you know, it does take a lot of confidence and action to be, you know, in the zone. And on top of that, root chakra, right? Because your sense of belonging, you're, as a Marine, I'm sure, uprooted from one place to the other. But also you're thinking about your survival because uh, what was it like, you know, going into a place like Kuwait as a Marine, knowing that, you know, things could end at any moment? Like, how did that thought of uh, death you know, across the next step, what influence did that have on your life at that point? Because I know that at, at some point you left the Marines, right? And we can go into that as well. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I'll go, I'll go to Somalia because, you know, I was, like I said, I was part of the initial landing force. And so the, the intelligence we got was that there were going to be a thousand armed Somalis uh, mm. at the beach in, in Mogadishu to meet us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember we, we landed on December 9th. And so we went to bed at you know, eight o'clock, I think December 8th, and we're going to get up at midnight and get our equipment and then go down into these amphibious vehicles and, and drop off the back of these big Navy ships and get into the water to go to Mogadishu. And you're trying to sleep, but you're just, you're you're also trying to rationalize Mm. this idea that your life could end. And it's not through any, you know, the person who's shooting at you doesn't know anything about you. Um, 
and that bullets don't discriminate. You know, bullets just go where they're told to go. And so if you point a weapon and you shoot it, the bullet's going to do what it's told to do. And so you might not even be the person intending to be shot and you could get shot. And it was, right. it was very, you know, at the time, I think I was 23 and it was very hard to reconcile those ideas in your head. And, and you know, at that point, you know, I certainly wasn't far in my path down yoga and uh, kind of understanding what my belief system was. I'd been raised Christian, um, but, you know, trying to find Christianity in the modern day sometimes I think is complicated and challenging for people. And I think that's certainly kind of what took me down the path towards yoga. But, you know, back to the question, it was just, it was very hard to cope with this idea that for for no reason other than just being at the wrong place in the wrong time, your life could end, you know, in in the next 24 hours. Right. I never thought about that because there's one thing about dying and then the other thing is about dying an impersonal death, right? Yep. Because like you alluded to, they didn't intend to kill you. Probably a, a bullet just ricocheted or maybe there was a splinter cell and you, you just died. And so I'm just thinking like, how is an impersonal death, a death by just accident different from someone intending to kill you? Uh, so that's pretty interesting that you brought this into our conversation. Uh, so and, and so you spent 15 years there. What, what made you leave the Marines? Yeah, you know, I think it was kind of the beginning of my awakening, really. Um, and and I'd, I'd had, uh, you know, so it was 2006, and I had a benign tumor in my neck, and mm-hmm. uh, I had that taken out. Um, and after the surgery, it was, you know, early in the spring, and I just thought, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Like, I've, I've been following this script, right. but I feel like it was kind of handed down to me. And it wasn't that it was force-fed, because like I said, I think if I had said, hey, I want to be a writer, you know, my parents would have f- helped me figure that out or, you know, I would have gone down that path. But um, I'm like, I don't, I don't want this script anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't, this isn't what I want to do. And so I, I talked to my boss's boss and said I was going to get out and he, you know, didn't support the decision fully, but he respected it. Um, and I got out and I think within a week of getting out, I took my first yoga class ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of questions over here because I speak to a lot of our listeners who are in jobs that they don't really like that does not align with what they truly believe in. They're probably very right, you know, very creative and very expressive and very emotional, but they're stuck in jobs that are more left brain, more logical, more do do do, you know, hustle. And so I see them changing a job within this umbrella of civilian life, which can be okay. But in your case, it was different, right? Because you move from being in the armed forces or in uh, as a Marine and into civilian life. It's sort of almost like stepping from one world to the other. So two questions over here. Yeah. How was it like, you know, that move, that shift from being in the forces to being a civilian? And number two, where did that uh, seed of yoga get planted in your mind? Because it seems like almost immediately you took your yoga class, right? So how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll we'll come back to the yoga question. I think um, you know to, to talk to the first one. I think it's it is a different world. Um, you know, when you realize, I think I don't know what the act the total active duty force of the military is right now, but it's you know it's in the U.S. It's just a small a fraction of a percent of the entire population, mm-hmm. and you realize that when you're in the military, you you do everything together. You you know, you shower together. I mean, if you if you're in a barracks, you you know everybody has a, there's a community shower. You bleed together if you're in combat or somebody gets wounded. Um, you do all these things, so there's no there's no boundaries. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, and what I found really quickly in civilian life is there are boundaries. I mean, there are boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it was, I won't go into graphic detail, but I just remember I'd been um, with, with uh, my current company uh, for a few years, or for a few months, I'm sorry, and just come back from lunch with some of the, my team. And I, I leaned over, we're walking back into the building and walking up the stairs, and I leaned over to the guy I was talking to and just euphemistically, colorfully said, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. And he's like, keep it to yourself. Oh, okay. like, oh my gosh, you guys don't talk about that stuff here. Like, right. That's like, that's a conversation in the Marines. Like you could have a whole conversation, like an afternoon about like, Oh, we there. And so just recognizes those boundaries. And, and what I, what I found AJ was probably for the first three or four years of my uh, civilian life, every week I was comparing things that happened that week to what happened in the military. And it's just, you kind of, at least for me, I had to kind of process and reset and say, oh, you know, there are boundaries in terms of what people talk about. There are boundaries in terms of what you can say. There are boundaries in terms of how you can dress. Um, and there, you know, some of those boundaries exist in the military because obviously the military has a ton of rules and, and order to it. Um, but just kind of finding that transition, you know, is, is it takes, it's, it's a challenge and it helps to work and talk with people who've already made the transition you can kind of accelerate. And I don't know that I did the best at that. Um, you know, I talked, I, I was fortunate that when I came to Cisco to work, um, I worked supporting the military accounts they had. Um, and so there were a lot of kind of former military that worked with us. Um, but our ability to support veterans transitioning wasn't as established as we later made it. So um, mm. your second question about, you know, getting to yoga, it's, it's so funny. And I, I've come to appreciate that there are no coincidences in the universe, the way the universe works. So I had, uh, I got out in August of 2006 and I think I, uh, had come to my parents' house and was just looking at a, a, a sports magazine. And I talked about how pro football players were using yoga to strengthen their midsections. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I, I work out a lot. I lift weights. Maybe it'll help me with my stretching. And I went to my first class. And it was kind of a gentle yoga class. So no sweating, nothing. And it was kind of like, yeah, this is all right. I'm not crazy about it, but okay. Um, and then three days later, I went to another class, different teacher, different style yoga, drenched in sweat, just watching the sweat drip off the mat or you know, off my forehead onto the mat. And um, I was blown away, but I was most blown away by what happened at the end. Um, and it wasn't just Shavasana, but it was what I realized was, you know, in the Marines, my last assignment was working in Central America. And I, I got maybe 50 email a week, uh, because I'd be in Honduras, I'd be in Panama, and just it wasn't email wasn't the thing that I needed to pay attention to. And when I came to Cisco, I'd get 50 email in like the first two hours. And so mm-hmm. I would leave work and my mind would just be this churn of noise with to do lists and tasks and reminders and invites and meetings and and what i found when i got onto the mat was my mind just got quiet and Mm. it was oh my god like i can be i can be without having to be projecting things into the future or thinking about the past and i like being present is pretty great uh Mm. and and i was i was just got pulled into yoga from there got it and as you were sort of describing the fact that when you came out of into civilian life, you were comparing every aspect of it to your life back in the Marines, right? It almost sounds like like a breakup, right? When you have a breakup and when you have this new single life, almost right. everything reminds you of the relationship, right? Yep. The restaurants you go to, the people that you meet, because everything is connected. And I agree with what you're saying is everything is connected. That every, you know, what is happening in, in, in life right now, even someone listening to this podcast, they were probably meant to listen to this podcast and right. listen to the conversations that were happening because they are moving closer and closer to something that they want to manifest or bring to life. So uh, I appreciate what you shared. So talk to us about a little bit more about your life as a civilian. I mean, did you go through PTSD? And what was the experience like? Like, what were some of the stressful moments 
as a civilian, like one of the things you mentioned was the number of emails that you would get, right? The barrage of emails, which was much more compared to when you were a Marine. But because I, I receive a lot of emails from people, you know, veterans who are experiencing PTSD, and that can be a really difficult process to go through. Sure. Talk to us about any, any any of those experiences that you went through. Yeah, you know, I fortunately, I, I don't know that I suffered from PTSD. You know, I was, okay. I was fortunate in Somalia. Um, well, I pointed a weapon at someone. I, I never had to be put in a situation where I shot someone. Um, okay. I, I got shot at, but um, but that wasn't uh, traumatic. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think it's just, especially, you're right. I, and I love the analogy of a, being a, like a breakup because you're like, oh, this is what my life used to be like when when they were in my life. And it's completely different now. And so you're just trying to find that sense of balance. And, and mm-hmm. you know, part of that journey you know, I think I think why people struggle, and probably why I struggled, is because a lot of it is we try to externalize the journey when it's really an internal journey. Like we have to make that path and find that path internally to be like, okay, this is this, I'm I'm at peace. Um, I think the biggest things were just understanding. You know, in the, in, in the in the military, even though it wasn't traditional work, you you had a sense of what work was. You know, there were you know, there's because it's a command and control and it's very structured and very hierarchical. You have this idea that you know, if I'm a major or I'm a company commander, I have this responsibility. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I need to do. Um, and so it was trying to find those boundaries and limitations. And, and in some cases where the expansion was within civilian life, especially working, you know, in a job, I think the transition out of uniform away from, uh, you know, away from work itself was a little easier, but it was also just this idea, gosh, I could be anything I want to be. If I want to grow facial hair, I could grow facial hair. If I want to, you know, wear 10 bracelets on my right wrist, I can do that. Like just these, the freedoms that um, don't come or, or that aren't there when you're trying to maintain order and discipline in a, in a right. military structure. Got it. Yeah, because I recently heard, in fact, it was a couple of months back, actually, Jocko Willink said, discipline equals freedom. Yep. Right? I, I, it doesn't make sense at first. But it sort of makes sense because when you go to an, into a restaurant, right, and if there's a menu that has just three options, you feel better because there's just three options and you can decide, right? right? But if there's a menu that has 200 options, I feel very overwhelmed. In fact, I don't like those kind of menus because there are so many options and it takes time to choose and sometimes things are not available. And, the, and so it gets very confusing. So did the sudden you know, increase of options, did it sort of overwhelm you? Like you mentioned, right, the, the haircut, the, what to wear. Yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think to an extent it did. And, you know, when I, I, you know, for me, when I got out and kind of discovered yoga, it's almost like the pendulum swings in the opposite direction. And it wasn't, you know, I I, I wore flip-flops more than I used to. And I'd wear baggier clothes. And, you know, I was looking at yoga clothes. And I'm like, well, this is, you know, do I need to craft this onto my identity? And, and so, um, yeah, in some cases, I think I, at one point, I think I even grew a little, like a little soul patch, and I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's just trying to find that balance and find your sense of self. And um, and you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think just because it's you know, and it, it it's interesting because I think it really comes back to you you get to a better place when you ask the right questions. And if I'd asked myself, okay, who am I going to be now that I'm out of the military? Um, I could have created an identity that I wanted to step into instead of searching for it externally, like I talked about. And and that was probably, um, and that was probably part of the journey too. Mm-hmm. So I love what you said right there. And maybe our listeners can also ask this question to themselves is, uh, what is the question you're asking? Because as a host, I've learned through experience and through practice that, you know, the discussion can only go be, uh, thus, that far depending on the type of questions that you ask. And it has sort of allowed me to find out what, what is a better question to ask, right? And so in life too, like you've sort of alluded to, your, the quality of your life is dependent largely on the type of questions that you ask yourself. And are those questions empowering you or are they, you know, bringing you down? Uh, and so with that being said, and with all of our discussions so far, what, what made you write your latest book, The Lighthouse Keeper? Yeah, th- uh, great question. Um... So, uh, and I, I, I go back to my first book only because the, the idea for the lighthouse keeper was born in, in whiskey and yoga. So my first book, whiskey and yoga about finding your purpose in life. Um, in that, 
you know, when I, when I go onto the mat to teach, I try to frame the idea of existence and the idea of the mind in ways that resonates with people. And in some cases it might be, you know what, you are your life's director and what kind of movie are you making? Are you making a comedy? Are you making a tragedy? Where are you focusing your camera? And what are you taking away from the scene that you're focusing on? Um, and at some point I said that your mind is an ocean and that's where all your memories are, all your, everybody you've ever met, every thought you've had is, is in this ocean and your awareness is a lighthouse. And, um, and you can shine that awareness anywhere you want. Most of us, because we've created habits, because we've created conditioning, kind of just let the lighthouse go where it's going to go. We'll focus on stuff, you know, is this pleasure, is this pain? We want to move away from pain and obviously towards pleasure. Um, but I, I, I remember when I wrote that in whiskey and yoga, I thought, you know, there's, that's, there's something to that. And I kind of went away from it. I, I, you know, whiskey and yoga was 2017. Um, and then about a year ago, I was listening to a monk and the monk basically said the same thing. He said, your, your mind is this blank, you know, large area where all your memories are and your awareness is this ball of light and you can shine it everywhere you want. And I'm like, Oh my God, he, that's the lighthouse keeper. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted to, I, I realized it was time to write that book and I wanted to not do it from a self-help standpoint, but to tell a story, um, because we're all on a journey. And so instead of kind of preaching or, or, or trying to teach people directly by saying, here's how your mind is shaped up and here's what your awareness is and here's how you fix your focus and here's how you use willpower. I told a story to, to make it more relatable. Um, and so that's, that's how the lighthouse keeper came to be. Got it. So I love the metaphor of the lighthouse because it's true, right? I mean, everything that we experience, the people that we meet, the memories that we have, they're not forgotten, right? Just like energy cannot be destroyed. They're out there somewhere in the oblivion, blank, yeah. black, you know, deep, dark waters. But we do have the power within us to shine the light in whatever area that we want. Do we want to find an island? Do we want to find a beautiful ship? Or do we want to aimlessly, uh, you know, shine the light wherever our distracted mind takes us? So what are some ways in which people are shining the light in the wrong directions? If you can provide us an example on that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think, God, you look at the world we live in today. And, you know, I think on average, so the last time I, I just recently checked this because I'm, I'm working on some new material, there are 3.5 billion smartphones on the planet. So basically half the planet has smartphones. Mm -hmm. uh, on average, we check our smartphones 85 times a day. So when you talk about the idea that if you want to be focused and do deep, meaningful work, you need periods of uninterrupted time. Well, if we're checking our phones 85 times a day, and we let's say we all sleep 18 hours, or eight, I'm sorry, eight hours a day, so that leaves us 16 hours for those 85 checks, how much focus, how much undivided attention are we giving to things that matter to us? And if we're checking, you know, and I, and I know I, I caught myself, you know, months back where I would just randomly check my phone. It hadn't vibrated, but I was like, I, I feel like I had this impulse. I need to check my phone because I need the dopamine hit. I need to see if anybody's texted. I need to see if anyone's liked something on Instagram or whatever. Um, and, and what you realize, if our habits become our lives, then most of us are living lives of distraction. And when you talk or you hear about, you know, I think I saw something that said one in three teens today suffer some suffers a mental health disorder in the United States. Well, yeah, it's because they spend nine hours a day on their phone. And when you talk about what's fulfilling in life, you know, unless you're running uh, your fortune 500 company from your smartphone, you're, you're distracted. And so it's, it's not an important thing in your life. And yet the things that are important to you, you keep pushing off because mm -hmm. you can't break the cycle that you've created for yourself. Right. It's so interesting because, uh, social media, and the smartphone hasn't been there with us humans for that long, uh, if you consider the evolution of humanity, right? And so in many ways, we don't know the long-term impacts that uh, this constant checking of the mobile phone will have on our psyche, our emotions, or even our evolution. So that's pretty interesting. Like, it's just 10 years, I'd say, or maybe 15 years uh, since the advent of the modern smartphone or even social media. So it's pretty interesting well, I do these challenges from time to time, you know, try out different practices and find out how I uh, respond to them. So I've done like a wake up in the morning, 5 a.m. challenge. I've done having a cold shower. Cold showers really transform my life. I do cold showers all the time. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I want to try, maybe you provide me another reminder, is to try out 
you know, like completely shutting off from my phone for maybe a day or maybe even three days. And I'm, I'm really curious of how that would impact my, my entire life. Have you, have you tried that? I, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. So when I write, uh, I, yeah. put, I put my phone in another room. Okay. Cause I know, so it's because I know if I don't, and I mean, I've, I've got the history of like at some point I'll pause because I want to think about something. And then my mm-hmm. mind's like, Hey, since we're not writing right now, let's mm-hmm. check the phone. And then you have three minutes that are gone and my, my concentration's broken. And so I said, you know what, move it to another room. Um, I was in Costa Rica, uh, on vacation last summer and I made the commitment that I wouldn't check, I wouldn't bring my phone with me. Like I, you know, wanted to take pictures and all that stuff, but I thought, you know what, let me just experience this. Let me experience it. So I left my phone in the room every day, um, and just experienced, I experienced volcanoes and monkeys and it was, and it's, it's weird because I think the first day or so there's like this almost mental itch. And you're like, oh, I, 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 I got to go check. I got to see what's, you know, what's happening, what's happening that I'm missing out. It's that FOMO that um, people talk about. But, but then it kind of subsides. And you're like, you know what? Living life is pretty great. And mm. social media, and, and I, like I said, I think there's, it's not that it's a waste of time. I think there's a value. Right. To, it's got to be tool. It's got to be a tool that you use. And I think back to, you know, discipline is freedom. That's a great example of it right there. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, life will continue, uh, but it really depends on how present you are in the moment. The funny part about clicking a photo is that the assumption is that you're trying to capture the moment for a future moment, right? You're trying to capture this moment so that you can see it in the future. And in doing so, you're missing the present moment. And uh, I don't post that much on Instagram these days because somehow I feel there is a guilt within me, you, you know, because I realize and the more I post, especially on Instagram, because it's such a visible medium, I'm in some way contributing to the dopamine revolution that Instagram is a part of. Because in doing so, you put multiple filters and you're not showing a very authentic version of yourself. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get over it and start posting more on Instagram. But, you know, inspirational stuff and real vulnerable stuff that really motivates people and gives them an insight into who I am truly. But yeah, that's, that guilt is definitely there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think it's, and I, like I, I try to post inspirational quotes, either quotes that I've, I've heard from someone or right. ideas I've come up with in my writing. Um, but I don't post pictures of things I'm about to eat. Uh, I don't, <laughs> okay. don't post pictures of animals. Uh, yeah, so I, I think like absolutely it has to be with discipline. But because you're right, it is like, gosh, am I contributing to someone's mm. Instagram fix or dopamine fix? And it's it's a it's a weird space that I think we're still trying to figure out how to navigate effectively. Got it. So talk to us about masculinity now, as on where we are today, because that's something I'm really passionate about. And coming from you, who is an ex-Marine, who has led a life of a lot of discipline, who has experienced both sides, where, like you said, you told somebody that you need to go to the washroom, and they were like, wait, FOMO? They are, are sorry, not FOMO. TMI, too much information. <laughs> and uh, as as we are today. There's so many perspectives, right? With social media, everyone's got a voice right now. But just because everyone has a voice, it doesn't mean, right? It's it's actually that adds to the conversation. So what are your thoughts on where masculinity is right now? Does masculinity really need to heal? And uh, yeah, so so how can we take masculinity to where it needs to be in a way? Do you know what I mean? So there's so many voices. (laughs) No, it's a good question. I think, you know, I I think it's moving in the right direction in some degree, to some degree. I think when you look Mm -hmm. at, you know, I grew up, uh, I I still remember my, my dad in his office had, you know, posters or pictures of John Wayne and one of my favorite actors was Clint Eastwood. And, and there are these paragons of this idea of masculinity. And it's this idea that, you know, you you're, you know, you eat nails for breakfast and you don't cry because, you know, crying is feeling. Um, mm. And I think we're starting to see, I, I think that's begun to erode, but I think the reality is, you know, you have to, we're, we're all, we're all some balance between being a thinking being and being a feeling being. Mm. And I think this idea that masculinity has to own the dominance of thinking and be um, left brain is, is an outdated concept. I think yeah. that, you know, it's okay to feel and it's not only okay, it's amazing. And instead of bottling something up inside and then venting on, you know, a coworker or a spouse or a child, 
um, you know, owning, owning your feelings, I think is actually a, a step into a greater sense of masculinity that we can all adopt, right? It's not, right. It's not the domain of anybody in particular. So I think it's, it's mm. getting away from that idea that um, you have to be um, this insensitive boulder of something uh, and that yeah. you're going to be human. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. And, and like you pointed out, there's, there's a fine balance, right? Because you can't be one extreme. <laughs> eating nails right. but the uh, the other end you can't be too sensitive also right you get you get uh you know you you get uh, angry with something that somebody says indirectly that was did not have the intention and i think what men really need is more role models right how do you be uh, a noble father how do you be that brother how do you be that son uh, i also find that uh, men find it difficult to share to express themselves like women i think just by their nature are more emotional. And so they easy for women to sort of huddle around and share and express, this is how my life is, my boyfriend, my husband. Right? But men, I think, do not share that that much. And so what tends to happen is it gets held within their hearts or in their chakras or and that manifests in disease and illness. And I think the more we have discussions around these topics, it allows for men to be to say that it's okay to open, it's okay to share, it's okay to cry. But then there's this balance. And once we have those role models that, le- that are leading the life of, uh, of pride and what it truly is to be a man, that's when things can be easier for other men around. Right? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's, I, I absolutely agree. And I think you know, it goes back to, I think if you, you look through evolution, you, know, you talked mm-hmm. about you know, what the smartphone is going to do to us from an evolutionary standpoint. But if you look back, you know, the men were the, the hunters, the women were the gatherers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women had to communicate in a sense to understand this is where the food is, this is how far it is away from where we are. You know, this is the food that's healthy to eat. This is the food that's not healthy to eat. The men had to con- congregate, and and their communication was much more because it was focused on this is what we have to kill. This is how we're going to do it. Um, so I think uh, you know I think you're absolutely spot on. I want to I wanted to ask you though you you drew inspiration from me when you said something. Have you heard of the Wheel of Life? The Wheel of Life, it sounds familiar. I mean, is it connected with uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey? Or is that something? Uh, no, it's it's complementary to that, but it's really okay. this idea. So if you, if you imagine, uh, you know, almost a pizza, and you can have six slices of pizza or eight slices of pizza, mm-hmm. but look at that and you say, okay, so this slice, we're going to call that family. This slice is going to be career. This slice is going to be spirituality. This slice will be health and fitness. And you go around, you know, finance, whatever you want. And then you say, okay, where am I? And I think this applies to both men and women, but you know, certainly for men, it's an exercise that I've used with some of my clients and, and it really resonates with them. On a scale of one to 10, where are you? Where are you mm. in personal or intimate relationship? And you say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm honest. I, I try not to use seven. So I tell people you're either a six or an eight. Okay, I'm a six. Like, oh, well, so then it's, well, who do I want to be? And I think the problem we don't, the problem is we just go through life doing things without thinking about who we want to be. And so, if I say, who do I want to be in my intimate relationship? What does that person look like? What, is that, what are the habits of the person that I want to be? Who, how does he interact with his spouse? What are his habits? What are his thoughts? And you create this idea of this is who I want to be in my relationship. And you, then you fail, figure out, okay, what do I have to do to get from who I am today, the person who leaves dishes in the sink or doesn't put the toilet seat down or you know whatever the case may be, who do I need to be and how, what do I need to do to get there? Um, I mm. think that's a tool that, you know, men can do, women can do, any, anyone can do it. But I think it's, you know, it comes back to men have to be more in tune with, with their awareness of who they are instead of kind of having this mindset of being this character of a man. Well, absolutely. I love that exercise. I love the spirit of inquiry because every morning I try to do a lot of journaling and find out, you know, what do I really truly want? And am I there yet? And if I'm not there, then what, what are the steps that I can take to sort of get closer there, right? Uh, and I find the, that like, asking that question again and again, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Is very powerful because it suggests that, you know, you need to adopt an archetype, right? Like you, you, yeah. who you are right now is not who you want to be. And there are certain steps that you can take in order to get there. But the beauty is that you can get there and change is possible. And your brain can, you know, through neuroplasticity, your brain can change. Uh, One thing to add is there's this old Benjamin Franklin exercise that he used to do each and every day that brought him closer and closer to his habits. Do you know about that? 
Uh, I don't think I do. So I'm excited to hear what you're going to say. Right, right. So what he did was he identified those habits, those eight or nine habits. I think there were 13 habits that he believed would take him to where he wanted to be as an individual. And as we know, he was he was a great leader, communicator, and all, all, all sorts of things. But he used to have this card in his pocket all throughout the day. He needs to divide that into, firstly, the type of habits that he wanted to have. Whether it was, like, I know one of the things he wanted was to have a clean home, to be clean, to be to be kind. So these wonderful, you know, characteristics that he wanted to sort of emulate and get closer. And then he would divide it into the number of days, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And every day that he would demonstrate those, those uh, you know, characteristics, he would put a tick on them, right? And so at the end of the week, he would evaluate, you know, how intentional have I been? With those habits, and I and I do this, and I found that to be so such a difference because the truth is that our life is determined by our habits and our micro reactions and, and things that we do on a, on a daily basis, and even though we're not doing it right now, just the realization that okay, we're not doing it brings so much consciousness and intention into our everyday lives. Thanks a lot for for sharing that idea, the, the wheel of life, and analyzing and assessing every aspect of our life, whether it's our spirituality, our relationships, our finances whatever that might be. Action Tribe, are you finding it hard to de-stress and unwind in the midst of this crazy pandemic? Come join us for a soothing, relaxing breathwork session online on Zoom. Now, I do these sessions for our paid members twice a week, and I've received so many powerful testimonials from people who have received a lot of support, comfort, and healing from these sessions. And to show you just how powerful these yogic breathwork practices are, every month I do a breathwork intro workshop for people who'd like to give this a shot. In the past, people have paid anywhere between $10 to $20 for a drop-in, but for a short while, I've decided to make these sessions available for just $0.50 cents a ticket. And these sessions are live, but you just pay $0.50. Cents. So, if you'd like to learn how to calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss using your breath from the comfort of your home, visit my7chakras.com forward slash breath work intro. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash breath work intro. I'll see you soon. And Action Tribe, I hope you've enjoyed our session so far and you know have some insights into how you can transform your life by shining the light in the right areas, just like a lighthouse keeper would. It is now time for our wisdom round after which we are going into a deeper conversation, uh, of, uh, which is part of this interview, but for our Energy Circle members. Uh, and this extended conversation is one of the numerous bonuses available to members of the Action Tribe Energy Circle community. To learn more, go to my7chakras.com forward slash join. That's my7chakras.com forward slash join so that you can see exactly what you'll get as an action, uh, action Tribe Energy Circle member. But for now, we'll do the wisdom round, which essentially consists of four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So, so David, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh, great question. Um, you know, it's it, it came in the form of a book. Uh, and I, I go to go back to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Um, that book set me on my journey. And the question, which was kind of a piece of advice, if you will, was what is the purpose of your life? Um, and what I realized at that point in time was I never looked at my life as having a purpose. And I, I never looked at purpose as being all encompassing for life. Um, I looked at what I want to do next. I looked at where do I want to go next? What assignment did I want? Um, and understanding purpose, I think it's it's like setting intention before a yoga class. You know, if if intention gives our actions purpose and meaning and focus, we can do the same things for our lives. And so asking myself that question has put me on the journey that I'm on today, which I'm so grateful for because it's it's just been rewarding and fulfilling and and being able to grow, but more importantly, contribute and help other people uh, has been the richest part of my life to date. Mm -hmm. And if you could turn back time and spend uh, one hour with someone who's living or dead, uh, who would it be? Oh, man, what a question. Um, gosh, I would, uh, you know, I would probably say uh, Tony Robbins. Um, I, I, I think he is just a force of nature. Um, 
I, uh, you know, I mean, so many people throughout history, but I just, I think what I found in listening to, you know, different podcasts or listening to books on tape is if you, if you listen to enough books from the same author, you're actually starting to get into their mind and you start to understand how they work. And I think with what Tony has done, you know, he's fed hundreds of millions of people. He's impacted hundreds of millions of lives. Um, I, I think spending an hour with him would be rewarding. I, I could certainly go in in history, but you said one person, so that's my person. Oh, yeah. I also would love to spend one hour with Tony in Fiji because <laughs> his life was pivotal to me as well. I remember, I think it was 2009, 2010, where I came across some of his downloads online and all his seminars, and I kept listening and again and again and again. And uh, I found him more interesting than Brian Tracy, who, by the way, is great. But just his voice, Tony's voice was more animating, more actionable, more uh, fiery. And uh, that really changed my life. So love, Tony. What is that one thing you do in the morning or in the evening before you sleep that has really improved the quality of your life? Yeah, so uh, you talked cold showers. So uh, I I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. uh, Before I set foot out of bed, I offer three quick thank yous. Uh, I take a cold shower, which lasts about 30 seconds, and that's usually good enough. Uh, and then I do about a 15 or 20 minute meditation. And um, initially, when I started the four o'clock journey, it was, I, I had to get, I had to trick my mind because it's like, oh, this is so early and so painful. But what I've really come to see is the time I spend, you know, from four to say 7.15 in the morning is really sacred time because it's time where I can do personal development. I can do meditation. I can do journaling. I can really focus on gratitude. I can really focus on what, not only what do I accomplish during the day, but who do I want to be during that day? Who do I need to be? Who do I need to show up in these meetings as? Who do I need to, if I'm meeting with a coaching client or I'm meeting with a mentee, who do I need to be there from a keynote speaker? Who do I need to be for that? Because it's, it's, it's that time and preparation that's so crucial to setting up success for the day as opposed to waking up and hitting snooze in my phone because I need 15 more minutes of sleep because I think that's somehow going to make me more well-rested. And then I scramble to get to work and then I'm chasing the day until I get home. Um, And the same thing at night, I do do kind of a quick meditation at night, uh, but also offer gratitude just because it's those, it's those seeds that we plant into the subconscious mind that, uh, that, you know, create the best fruit in the, the weeks, years and months to come. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, uh, which book would that be? You know, I would, uh, the book that I'm, uh, I would recommend would be The Miracle Equation by Hal Elrod. Um, so it's this idea that, you know, if we go back to the idea that everything is energy, you know, Tesla, uh, energy vibrating certain frequency, um, The Miracle Equation is just the idea that if you mix, combine unwavering faith with extraordinary effort, that's the equation for miracles. And it sounds so simplistic, but I, I love what he's done with, with that book. Uh, and that book has helped transform my life too, because you talk about purpose and you talk about setting your sights on a goal, unwavering faith and, and extraordinary effort will get you there. So Action Tribe, would you like to receive this book for free? Because Audible.com is offering Action Tribe, that is all of you, everyone, one free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so that you can get to try out this new service, this new way of consuming a book by listening to it. Because as you might admit, listening is the new form of reading. And the fact that you're listening to this podcast proves my point. So if you would like to try out Audible by checking out The Miracle Equation by Hal Elrod, all you need to do is go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book, and you can start uh, claiming your free credit. So David, thank you for joining us on today's session. Before we begin the last recording for our Energy Circle members, tell us what is one thing you're grateful for and how can our listeners find more about you? Well, AJ, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, I would say I'm, I'm grateful for our time because any platform to share part of our story, you know, we all... Every, every book that's written is a truth of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's a self-help book, it's the author's truth at that time in their life. Um, and, and, you know, if anything that I've said resonates with one person in your audience, then I've made a difference. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Um, if people want to uh, find out more about my work and upcoming events and my, my next book coming out here at the end of March, 
um, davidrichardsauthor.com. Uh, and I'm on David Richards Author on Instagram as well. Perfect. So it's great that you're on Instagram. Action Tribe, if you're on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode as you see it on your mobile screen and then tag me so that I can share your story with our community and make sure you tag David as well. My handle is at my seven chakras. That's at my seven chakras. And you can be assured that I will share your story with our community. And Action Tribe, we are now going to move into our bonus extended session for our Energy Circle members. The way you can find out more is by going to my7chakras.com forward slash join, my7chakras.com forward slash join. So do consider upgrading to listen to the entire session. But if not, it's totally fine. I hope you have a great week ahead. Thank you for listening to my 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com that is my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.